Welcome to the Crafting Character Podcast. Steve Carter here, and in association with my good friends at Preaching Today and Food for the Hungry, I bring you a podcast that hopefully will help you get better at the craft of preaching and teaching and communicating while always hoping and ensuring that your character will lead the way. Today, I'm excited because I get to interview someone I've only really met in person once, but we've been following each other on social for a number of years. And I will tell you, I was in Florida at a speaking conference. And you know that I often will tell you that you got to have a preaching coach. You got to have someone that helps you get better at the craft of communication. And and I was there um, learning from a mentor of mine, Ken Davis. And the last message, this woman gets up. And I, honestly, I, I had never actually heard of her before. Her name is Michelle Couchat. And I'm just telling you, it was the best talk I had heard that entire year. I, I went up to Ken Davis after and was like, who is this person? I have to I have to learn from them about the art of communication. And so this has been like a, a dream of mine to interview her, to chop about teaching. She's also an amazing executive coach. She works with uh, leaders all across the U.S. And then she's an author, an author of four books. Um, one most recent dropped in March of 2023, A Faith That Will Not Fail. And it, it walks through 10 different practices. We'll talk a little bit about that in this podcast. But without further ado, I want to introduce you to the one, the only, Michelle Couchat. Michelle, <laughs> thank you for joining us on the Crafting Character Podcast. Uh, thank you, Steve. I am so glad to be here. I mean, we met, it was eight years ago now that we met, if you can believe that much time has passed. And it's only taken us eight years to find a date on the calendar to connect. So... <laughs> <laughs> I can't, I mean, honestly, that I, I can still go back and remember that teach. Mm. And, you know, one, it's, I think it's hard to, to teach anyway, but yeah. when you're teaching a whole bunch of teachers on how to communicate, and then it, there's a little bit more added pressure to have to I, deliver. Intimidating. Intimidating is like that word doesn't even cover it. I mean, standing up in front of a room of people that consider themselves experts at communication. I mean, oh my goodness, the nerves, all of it, the pressure, all of that is is real. <laughs> what I what I remember too was um, there there are talks that I I don't know if often remember what they said. Mm -hmm. um, I just remember what I felt. Mm -hmm. And then there are like the talks that I remember how I felt and I remember mm -hmm. what they said. And that's, that literally like was your teach. Mm -hmm. I remember Thank just you. walking away going, and here is a woman who has had to overcome and so badly wants to communicate mm -hmm the gospel, mm -hmm. wants to communicate the truths of God's word. And I have um, the instrument of my mouth and my tongue. And I, am I like, am I like giving it everything I have? And it just, it was this, this moment. I went back to my hotel room. I started just journaling. I started just going, man, like if it's, it's, it's not just acceptable to be a good communicator mm -hmm. of God's word. Like mm -hmm. I, I want what Michelle has in that longing, that desire, just even the the fight that you've had to go through 
to be mm-hmm. able to do this. Um, it just inspired me and really was, uh, man, eight years ago, was so I felt like a catalyst for me to take another step in my communication. And so, um, so thank you for that. And just your writing, who you are, um, just the way people talk about you, uh, it's just been phenomenal, but, um, Michelle, maybe, maybe start there. Maybe we just talk a little bit about that teach, um, and, and a little bit of the backstory because, and then I'd, I'd really love to talk about your, your latest book. Yeah, let's talk about that day. So, you know, what you may not fully be aware of, it's so humbling and, um, uh, honoring and redemptive to me to hear what you just said, just so you know, because uh, the day before I did that presentation, uh, I uh, I remember being outside, it was late at night, and one of my co-workers at this uh, speaking conference um, just had her arms wrapped around me because I'm like, I don't think I can do it. I don't think I can get up there and do it. And I was weeping and still very much in a place of healing from what had happened before. And we'll, we'll talk about that in a second, but I was literally, I had nothing to give. And so everything, I say that because everything that you just shared, although it's nice to hear, I'm fully aware of the fact that it's nothing but the grace of God that mm-hmm. almost it that day, because I was, I had nothing to offer. Um, so let's back up what led me to that day. So in the months and years before that presentation, eight years ago, um, actually about, it was about 10 months before that I had been diagnosed with cancer for the third time, the third time, one, two, three. <laughs> and it was squamous cell carcinoma of the tongue, cancer of the tongue. Now, first of all, I didn't even know that had existed before I was diagnosed with it. Um, but on top of that, at that point, I had been making my living doing my ministry as a communicator. And one of my specialties was Uh, being a presentation coach. So I coach communicators. They would come to me. I help them put together their signature presentations. I help them fine tune their delivery so they can really do, you know, like TED Talks and things like that, do really good quality communication. So the one thing that was central to kind of my sense of identity, right, me as a communicator and a communications coach was the one thing that was attacked and I was fighting my life for, right? So it wasn't just about my speech at that point. Um, I had been diagnosed for the third time. The cancer was more aggressive, more advanced than ever before. And then uh, this was probably eight months before that presentation. I had done a nine-hour surgery where a whole team of surgeons had removed two-thirds of my tongue, had taken out cut open my neck, taken out about 12 lymph nodes, my submandibular gland, had cut open my arm, my leg, all different parts of my body. I was like Humpty Dumpty. They put it all back together with the hope of maybe being able to save my life. But whether or not I would ever speak, eat, drink, um, swallow, be able to function as a normal human adult um, was in question. Like that wasn't even on the table. At this point, they were just trying to keep me alive. After that surgery, then they had done pretty intensive external radiation and chemotherapy. Uh, and I won't go into the details, but when you start shooting radiation at the face and the neck, uh, it has significant consequences. At one point, my vocal cords were so burned and blistered that they didn't even function. I had to use a dry erase board to do all my communication with my family, my children, um, my friends. Uh, and then after that, season of treatment, they did internal radiation. And that I won't even go into because it's more horrific than you want to hear. But they basically started doing radiation on the inside of my mouth and my throat. So all that to say, that was all the way through April, 
of that year, uh, I had a tracheostomy for two months, a feeding tube for six months. So I was, when I say I was on the brink of death, I'm not exaggerating. I was literally a shell of a human being. And from April until that presentation, which I think was September, October, um, my full focus was trying to come back to life, like trying to not die. And then this uh, conference came up, which I had spoken at and um, been a coach at for years and years. And Ken Davis has been a life, uh, gosh, he's been a friend for 20 years now, um, he and his wife. Um, they wanted me to do the closing presentation, which brings me to that moment the night before I did that presentation with my mentor and friend, uh, Candy, and I was just weeping. I don't, I don't know how I'm going to get up on stage in front of a room full of communicators and speakers, being someone who's literally been cut up and destroyed and primarily my voice, right? And I now talk with a lisp. I spit every time I talk. Um, I have a hard time saying really important words like Jesus and leadership and all of that. You know, these words. How do I get up in front of a room of communicators as this very, very broken woman who's at the end of herself and have anything to say to them about what it means to be a preacher or communicator of the gospel? What do I have to offer? Nobody wants to listen to me. And that's where I was the night before. And then that day when I stood up there and the message I gave was on what are the anchors of a great communicator? Do you remember that? What are the anchors of a great communicator? Yep. Yep. And I presented this uh, idea of the fact that we think great communication has to do with a good outline, with good articulation, with having a very put together appearance. You need to be confident, all of that kind of stuff. And I said, but what if those things may be good or even beneficial, but what if they aren't the most important thing? And so I presented a question to the room and I said, I told them my story and where I had come from over the last 10 months. And I simply said that I'm at a turning point right now. I have to decide, am I going to be the woman who talks funny, who has a, a lisp and a broken voice? Am I going to be the woman who has imperfect speech? Or am I going to be the woman who has something to say? And that right there, I had to make a choice. Uh, and so in hindsight, and as I reflect on this, that decision is, I think, a decision all of us have to make as communicators. Are we going to be the person that's trying to pretend like we don't have flaws and present a perfect front and be that confident, dynamic communicator? Or are we going to be people who have something to say? And that, I believe, is what makes the difference between a good communicator and a transformative communicator. It was it was so moving, um, and I'm grateful that you came back because I I was going to recite the question uh, that you did, but I was like, because it was eight years ago, I was like, ah, I, but uh, you still remember. It makes me so happy. Yeah. But the the, the second it was real. This it was not, real. This oh. is not an outline or a presentation. This was authentic journey. I mean, yeah. I have to decide that every time I get on a podcast, am I going to come from a place of insecurity? And being worried about all my flaws, or am I going to be somebody that's confident that she has something to say? And I, I have to decide this every time I choose to speak in front of anybody. Yeah. Well, and, and what was amazing, you're the closing talk. I think there had been like six or seven other communicators mm -hmm. and you had breakout sessions and they were all, you know, flawless, perfect 
communicators all around. Right, right. And you and you had held your part of the story. So it was like the first like maybe seven or eight minutes, you're just kind of like talking about you can have these different kinds of, you know, polish communicate, da 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 da. And then you had I, I remember like in the back of my mind, I was like, this isn't an interesting choice for a uh for a closer closer. Like I'm like, and I just was like it feels not like you're debunking everything that we've heard, but like you're, you're, I'm like, she's setting something up. I have no idea where she's going. And then you turned it and you started walking through and I lost two thirds of my tongue. <laughs> and then you, and you're like, Oh my goodness. And then you hit that question. And then you just, um, there was this, the anchor is the right word. There was just this, anchoring that you had and you just I just watched this hotel conference room 300 people just like lean in and I was I was in the front row and I looked back and everyone was like just glued um and again the other presenters amazing amazing but this this was different this was like we were standing on holy ground that like this is you could just feel everyone going do I have something to say? Um, am I doing, or am I like projecting an image that I want people to see me more than actually hear about the person or hear about what I really have to say? It was, I mean, oh, just so unbelievable. I, I got a question because sometimes you have these moments where you 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 have a you have a teach like that, and and you have the night before where you have a mentor and dear friend holding you. You're going to have a meltdown, like a full-on grown-up toddler meltdown in the parking lot. Yes, that, that was me. And, and, and yet it's so connected to obviously your story and who you are. Um, but it's, it's sometimes hard to like uh, replicate that talk. Mm-hmm. You can like replicate them because at that moment, but has that, have you been able to share that message other places? Has yes. it, have you have? Okay. Yes, uh, definitely. Cause that, think, that one. Yeah. Go ahead. Let's talk about that. Cause you know, for those who are listening that are doing this, like they're doing presentations, preaching, whatever. I think this is an important skill. And um, when you find a story and by the way, I'm going to kind of emotionally disconnect from my hard story just to look at the bones of it so we can analyze. It. Yes. I love it. Um, but when we have a, a story that connects with us emotionally, you know, that has some kind of powerful emotional connection to us, there's a high likelihood that we can craft it to be emotionally connecting to the person in the audience, right? If we don't feel emotionally connected to it, nobody else is. And that's a really important first criteria. It has to have some, it has to touch us at a place of vulnerability for it to be transformative to somebody else, okay? That's really important. That said, the story itself um, the best stories are the ones that can be um, be adapted for different purposes, right? So I used that story in that presentation that day, talking about uh, the anchors of good communication, right? What the real anchors of good communication are. And the three anchors that I delivered are your purpose, your audience, your voice. Um, and by the way, side note, if your audience can't remember you know, the kind of bones of your talk, then you haven't been clear enough. It's really important to be able to say the anchors of your presentation and your purpose, your audience, your voice. If you can remember that, 
then you can make any kinds of mistakes as long as you get those right. People leave with something to take with them. So look at that. Look at that persuasive in one sentence. Acres are plural, you know. So you have three anchors, <laughs> three purpose, audience. Yes. 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 And you, you're memorable, right? And memorable. I'm not as young as I used to be. I can't even remember my kids' names most of the time. So we need to have it memorable. <laughs> um, but I did it for communicators that day. But at other times, I've presented to groups talking about identity and your sense of security or yes. your sense of insecurity and how we get grounded in who we are. And the same story and the same anchors can work. At times I use the same story and come up with different um, takeaways or different, different rationale that kind of support the objective of the talk. But the story itself and stories by nature um, are um, kind of like organic live beings. I think of stories of being alive, right? And without being dishonest, I can pull out different aspects of the story to emphasize different points, depending on the objective of my presentation. So I'm a big believer of finding a handful of good transformative stories that you then can adapt and use in different environments, rather than feeling like you need a different story every time you speak. <laughs> right. No, right? I love that. Then you become an expert at it. Yeah. Well, and, and I love that, just that, that visual that they're this living organism, like you, you, you know, there's this, this, this movement, it wants to go in. Um, I'm curious, you know, when did you recognize you had a speaking gift and, and how, because, you know, you, you kind of like came up and were, and just like you did right now are like well-established, well-known as a speaking coach. I mean, whether in boardrooms or to pastors, <clears throat> communicators for TED Talks, like you've talked about, but like, when did you start to realize, mm -hmm. um, and, and I've heard, you know, you, you had a moment in a, in a high school classroom, but like, I, I, I mean more like, when did you go, man, I can teach, but, oh, I actually love not just speaking, but I, mm. I really love coaching. Just like I, even just right now, how you broke down. Let's talk about that for a second. Let's talk about how a story, like you, you are, a, you are um, a coach, but man, you, you are someone who can actually get on the field and, and, and crush as well. But like, talk about when you noticed that mm -hmm. kind of gift and that gift to coach. Well, those are great questions. I love, by the way, I love good questions. So it makes you dig deep, right? And so one, even when you said, when did you notice that you had a gift as a speaker, as a communicator? I even still feel some resistance when I heard you mm. say that just now, because I'm like, oh. um, so all that speaks to is the fact that I have long been very insecure about my ability to communicate. Uh, I think it's so important to say that because People assume if you're good at it, that you must never wrestle with any insecurity about it. Not just a load of garbage. <laughs> um, and so I spent a number of years being highly insecure. And the reason is, and uh, is because it was all about me and how people saw me. I was so worried about not impressing people or disappointing people. I was so wrapped up in how the audience received me that I was making it all about me. So honestly, what really changed everything was losing my, my uh, functional ability as a speaker. Once I all of a sudden no longer could even speak clearly if I wanted to, like once my articulation went away, my vocal cords were burned, all of that, um, I, couldn't, I couldn't hide my flaws anymore. And once you can't hide your flaws anymore, you can either hide or you can just show up and, 
it's a it's a crapshoot. The audience may love me or they may not, but I'm still going to do my thing. At that moment, it ceased being about my ego and became about my call. Mm. Okay. And unfortunately, it took losing any chance at perfection in order for me to finally get over myself. Wow. And when I finally, you know, and that's God's in his severe mercy, right? That's a severe mercy. But in his mercy, he realized that um, I, you know, my insecurity is kind of the chink in my, my armor. It's my Achilles heel and my desire to please people and for people to like me is there. And so at some level, I almost it very literally had to die to myself. And almost die. <laughs> yeah. And once that happened, once my ego was sacrificed on this altar of cancer and imperfection and a body that's flawed and living with a permanent disability, I was finally was able to get over myself enough to really make it about the message and not about my uh, sense of self. Right. And so that's been a beautiful gift. And so what happened with that is once I made the decision, remember that question, do I want to be a woman who talks funny or do I want to be a woman who has something to say? Once I decided I'm going to be a woman who has something to say, which means, God, you're going to have to do it because I don't have, I don't even have the physical plumbing to do it anymore. You're going to have to do it. I discovered a new confidence because it wasn't resting on my shoulders. It was resting on his. That really makes a difference. Now, for those of you who are speaking, uh, let's be clear. Ego is a problem. You can't be on stage in front of people and not admit that your ego is right there keeping you company. Let's just be clear. Yeah. Okay. And if you think it's not a problem, then it means it's more of a problem than you think it is. Yeah. Okay. So let's be clear about that. Our ego and our need for affirmation and accolades and approval is always going to be there. So we need to be constantly putting that to death. And some of the ways that we do that is, you know, by being willing to expose our flaws, right? And reminding ourselves all the time, it doesn't matter how perfectly I deliver this if the people in the audience don't get something that can change their lives. Yeah. Right? And so I have the benefit of having a very flawed body. So it forces me to get over myself a lot faster than others. But we all need to, before we get up there, realize it does not matter how great my story is. It does not matter how flawless my delivery. If I say nothing that people can put in their pocket and take home that can change their life. Mm, that's so good. That's so good. Talk about the coaching. When did the coaching, okay, coaching. start? Now coaching, let's, I, because I love that you brought that up. Um, I have always, I'm wired up to develop people. I've always loved people. I love pouring into people and even though people assume I'm a raging extrovert, I'm really not. Um, I refuel very much alone. I love being in silent solitude. Um, but small groups, one-on-one, being able to get engaged at a more intimate, deeper level is my jam. Like that fills me up. And to develop people, that really comes from part of my story. Uh, I've shared about my cancer journey, but there's been a lot of other hard things. And I've basically had 30 years of unrelenting and consecutive losses. Like we can go through at church situations. Um, I, I was a pastor's wife and was unexpectedly divorced in a single mom when I was in my 20s. So imagine walking that out, being a pastor's wife in the church back in the 90s, wasn't very popular. Um, I've, we've foster adopted three kids from trauma. We have that. We've had, we have three older kids, went through all kinds of things with them. All that to say, um, 
all of those hard circumstances, I walked out in a church context. And one thing I discovered in my journey, unfortunately, is the church doesn't always know how to do with, don't, doesn't know what to do with people in places of extreme pain and suffering, especially pain and suffering that seems to be in conflict with their morals, like divorce. Wow. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so through that, I realized that uh, there's nothing worse than feeling alone. And so I learned that you and I, we can have the strength to overcome a lot of different things as long as we know we're not alone in it. And so that is what really birthed my heart for coaching is because I wanted to be somebody who knew how to come alongside somebody else and walk with them through something difficult, whether that was a presentation or a diagnosis or uh, a church conflict or a church split or whatever it may be. I wanted to be somebody who knew how to hold space with people in hard places. And that's really where my love of coaching came from. Uh, it was never initially about earning a living or anything else. It was, I didn't want anybody to feel what I felt and that yeah. isolation of having suffering, but also being alone in it. That's, <clears throat> that's amazing. You know, because again, I came in to know you, you know, eight years ago, I've been following you ever since. And um, I, I, you know, I, I could pick up some stuff from like the reading, but always just assumed it was, you know, around the 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 fight in the cancer battle mm-hmm. but but recognizing man there's there's other stuff that she's had to walk through and navigate you could you can tell that you know um you know or there's a strength that comes from the weakness there's a strength that you know comes in you know the 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 death of, mm-hmm. of a dream or something and you just you, you you see that and feel that and I, I think what's been always so moving to me is if I think about you um, and I wouldn't have titled, um, I wouldn't have like came up with this title for your book, but I would have said something about faith. There is a faith that she has that um, is willing to do the work. There's a faith that she has that, that, that allows her to keep wanting to have something to say mm-hmm. there's a, there's a faith that she has that can overcome advert there's a fa- there, there's this faith and so then when i saw you know early this year that you were dropping a book and you know a faith that will not fail i was like of course of course <laughs> but what i loved about this book though was it was these 10 practices mm-hmm. you know from mm-hmm. like lament uh to relinquishment which i was a, to contentment i mean all of these different themes in some ways, and then you have these like five minute like uh, breakdowns where you could like, you just, it's like amazing uh, devotional time that for me was awesome uh, around each chapter. And there were like mm-hmm. three of them. But was this kind of like a a summary of like some of, you know, let's use the word anchors again. Some of the anchors that you have held on to in this, you know, 20, 30 year kind of professional adult life run mm-hmm. that has helped you not try and bypass the grief and lament, but actually walk through it with faith and promise? Yes. Yeah, very much so. I, you know, I kind of, I love good theology. I'm a thinker by nature. I'm, I love to process it. You know, and I try to, as I've gone through my own seasons, I love to intellectually dig into scripture, but other books and resources and commentaries to try to understand 
this thing that I have built my life on. I, my parents became Christians when I was about six months old. So even though it was new for them, I've never known a life without faith. But faith in theory is very different than faith in reality. Wow. Right. Yep. And so as I've walked through these last 30 years of pretty significant suffering and losses, I needed to sit there and go, but do I really believe what I say I believe? And so digging through scripture and digging into theology. However, when somebody's in a hard place, um, theology is not always accessible to them. Like, how do they reach for that if they are barely hanging on? And so my goal with this particular book was to take really rich, solid gospel truth theology and make it accessible to the person that's in the pit. Like, how do we, what Jesus did in the parables and in other teaching, he was making yep. theology accessible all the time. He was not delivering his sermons in commentaries. He was yep. <laughs> He was making it super accessible. And so this book was a way to try to take what I've learned and um, walking out the reality of our hard circumstances and the reality of God's presence and purpose in this life and make it as accessible as possible to the person that's in the trenches. Because I've been in the trenches for 30 years myself. And honestly, that's what we do as communicators too, or what we should be doing. How can I take these things that I've learned and um, rather than impress everybody with my knowledge, make it as accessible as possible to the person that just needs a lifeline, that needs something to hold on to. But rather than fluff, make it good and solid and firm in a bite-sized uh, manner. And so that's kind of how I laid out these 10 practices. And I want to say one other thing about those practices too, Steve, and this kind of goes back to those of you who are communicators who are listening. Um, your ability as a as a presenter is built in your private one-on-one -on -one time of being a person of, of intimacy with God and character in the presence of God, like being formed your formation with him in private is far more valuable to what you do on Sundays or when you do a presentation than any amount of time you spend practicing your, your sermon or your presentation in the mirror. Like if you are not a person of character and quality and substance and intimacy with God, there is no amount of coaching I can do to make you a great communicator. All right. You may have a shiny presentation, but sooner or later, all the, all the junk's going to come out and show. Right. right. And so these formative practices in this book of faith that will not fail, uh, they, they are, for, they're foundational. I talked in the beginning of the book about how my husband and I bought a fixer upper during COVID. Don't ask me why. That was kind of a dumb thing to do, right? But we bought a house that was falling apart and decided to fix it up during COVID. Um, but the key of that quality house was its foundation. It wasn't the walls or the wallpaper or the cabinets or anything else. It was the fact that it had good cement foundation. And for you and I, as we walk out our beliefs, our, our confidence in the gospel message, and then try to tell other people about it, um, you can spend all your time slapping up paint colors and adding wall hangings and all that kind of stuff. And none of it will matter if your cement isn't there, if the foundation isn't there. And that's what it's all about. You and I need to be spending far more time investing in the cement of our faith, the cement of what we believe to be true about God and ourselves in the context of the gospel narrative. Um, we need to spend far more time doing that than just policing our delivery. That's so good. I, okay. So pastors, teachers, I hope you get this because this is so essential. I, I think for many of us in 
Bible college and seminary. And just when we know Sunday or Saturday night or Wednesday night is coming, um, we, you know, we go to our office and we start chasing Jesus information, right? We're, we open up the com- commentaries. We're just, we're just chasing the, I got to find the nugget. I got to find the piece. I got to find the, the angle. I got to find this. We're chasing Jesus information. What Michelle just talked about is different, a different kind of chase. And what she's talking about is chasing Jesus in formation, mm-hmm. not information just to get so that you can transfer some idea. But when you actually can be shaped and formed, you're not transferring information. You're speaking from a transformed place. Mm-hmm. And you, there, there are some, there are some tips and you, you heard this, uh, uh, Michelle just dropped is, and it's why I so resonate with her, her teaching, her writing, because for me, this is just my preference as a communicator, as someone who studies the game of preaching and teaching and loves it so much, is I I love when someone is theologically thoughtful. Mm-hmm. I love it. When someone can just come around, ask great questions of the text, there's a context, there, there, there's a way at which they engage it. But I I love when they can match that theological thoughtfulness with a theological accessibility Mm -hmm. that I actually in my, like on the streets, in like my real life, in my neighborhood, in the people that I chop with in rec leagues and all of that, that I know, oh man, that's a way, like even just your use of the word relinquishment in the Mm -hmm. book. Mm -hmm. I was like, man, like I, and you're talking about control, but I like, I like the word relinquishment. Like I, and just. It it sounds kind of messy, doesn't it? It does. It totally does. Right. And so, but yeah, exactly. And, but I just like that, that like art of like, I oh, do I want to relinquish this? Do I want to? And, but just as you walk through that, you, again, the, the depth that you feel, but it doesn't feel, you know, going back to what you said earlier, it feels like you're, even as I'm reading this, you're beside me holding space, mm-hmm. uh, teaching me what lament looks like and what contentment looks like and what humility looks like. Uh, mm-hmm. um, and I, I just, again, as, as someone who's always looking for sermon series, I'm just telling you, <laughs> this would be an amazing 10 week sermon yeah. series, a 10 week small group campaign, young adult ministries. This would be an amazing because these are, these are like profound themes. I wish I would have known in my twenties, um, men's ministry, women's ministry. It like, I'm just saying like, I know I have a, a wide swath of of pastors and leaders who who listen to this, not just senior pastors, but like as as you as you pick up this book, I'm just telling you these practices, um, they are they are essential for character. It, it's mm-hmm. it really this book is character school. It's just a yes. character formation. Um, how have you seen Michelle? Like, well, let me let me back up and say, what was the one chapter? That you were like, oh, this is this is the easiest one for me because I like this is like a wheelhouse. Like this is like mm. this is the strongest muscle in the ten. And then which of the ones was like, oh, this is this is the one that's I I feel the weakest at that I've needed to grow. Like I grew even writing this. Mm-hmm. It just pushed mm-hmm. me. Um, yeah, and, and then and I then, can answer the second question easier than the first. <laughs> okay, okay, that's good. I like that. I like that. The hardest one for me is uh, the practice of forgiveness. Ooh, yeah. Uh, 
I'm somewhat embarrassed to say that because I've, you know, I've been forgiven much, but I, I just think that's real, right? We've all, we're all carrying wounds that other humans either um, intentionally or unintentionally have laid on us. Right. And so this practice of forgiveness, yeah, we, I think sometimes we think it's something we do every now and then once every year, somebody really hurts us. So we have to work on forgiveness. No, it's a daily formative practice to, uh, to forgive those who let us down, who disappoint us. Uh, Even, even, and this is going to sound somewhat controversial, even forgiving God for not being doing what we want him to do. Not that he needs forgiveness, but basically saying, you know, I so trust you. I so trust the story. I so trust what you're working out with this whole gospel narrative from the beginning to the end that I'm going to let, you know, I'm going to intentionally say, even though you didn't behave the way I wanted you to, I trust you. I let you off the hook for that. I'm, I'm trusting you instead. So, um, so forgiveness, yeah, definitely the hardest practice for me because uh, I'm having to face the fact that uh, just because I choose to not acknowledge how somebody wounds me doesn't mean that I haven't forgiven or I've forgiven them, right? That forgiveness is an active work of absorbing the cost that must be paid for a disappointment or some kind of wound, okay? That's the hardest one. The easiest one for me was only easy because I've had lots of practice, and that's the practice of lament. Uh, I feel very passionately about the practice of lament. I don't think as a church as a whole, we've done a great job of allowing people space to grieve. We've we've um, somehow associated uh, being sad about what we've endured, grief, lament, sadness, whatever, um, to be a lack of faith. And that's just a bunch of garbage. I mean, yeah. lament is not a lack of faith. We saw Jesus lament in the Garden of Gethsemane as he was facing his impending suffering. We've got the Book of Lamentations, which is a whole entire Bible book on grief. We've got Jeremiah. We've got songs, or Psalms of lament. It's all throughout Scripture. Um, but I think because we haven't done a great job of, of discipling people in the practice of lament, uh, we're seeing grief come out sideways and we see it in anger and we see it in pride and we see it in offense and we see it in attacks and we see it in all kinds of ways. Grief will not be ignored. Right. Yes. And Jesus came because humanity is broken, that we need to be redeemed. We need to be rescued. But the only people that can be redeemed are those who know they need redeeming. The only people that can be healed are those who admit there's a wound. And lament is basically us telling the truth about our pain, but taking it to the one who has the power and the credibility and the authority to do something about it. And so, as you can see, as I'm on my soapbox about lament, that was the easiest for me because I'm very passionate about us as Christians learning how to not only lament ourselves, but to allow other people to do that. I was on a call earlier this morning and I was talking to, it was a ministry call. And I said this, I said, you can throw theology at a wound. I'm sorry. You can't throw theology at a wound. It will bring truth, but it won't bring healing. In other words, um, so many times when somebody's healing or hurting, we try to throw scripture at them and scripture is great and it delivers truth, but it's not going to heal them. So sometimes we need to learn how to just come alongside somebody who's in a place of pain and rather than throw theology at them, be present, you know, rather than being Job's friend to learn how to sit with them in that place and, and focus first on the connection and the compassion and the grief 
and theology will come. Yeah. But start at the place of empathy and connection. You think that's why God gave his son two names? <laughs> you know, because like Emmanuel, God with us, Yeshua, you know, 100%. God mighty to save. You know, it's like, and I think, I think we we probably all have a tendency to carry one of them. And there's people who know how to hold space, but don't ever talk about the healing power. And there's people who just throw scripture and mm-hmm. the truth, but don't actually know how to be with someone. And it's both. It's both, right? It's both. But it's, I, I it, think, yeah, go ahead. That's go the, um, to me, I think this is what I'm learning, at least at this season, of what it looks like to walk out the gospel. It's holding current reality, the truth of our broken condition, Right. The world's a mess. I mean, it doesn't, you just have to open your phone and the news app to see that the world is a mess. We're a mess. Um, And even Christians are a mess. I mean, we've seen them fighting all different things going on in the last few weeks, right? We're a mess. So that's current reality, our broken condition. But if we focus only on that, we will end up in despair. And so we hold current reality in one hand and we hold future promise in the other. Mm. Now, if we only, if we only focus on future promise, we're in denial right? We we don't want despair, but we don't want denial. So we hold both of those two truths in our two hands, current reality, future promise. And when we have that, we have, we have the right combination to walk out the gospel with truth and love and grace in our current generation. That's what we need more of. Man, I guarantee you there's like 50 pastors around the world right now who are like, well, I now have my Sunday message <laughs> right there. That, I mean, because you think about that, like that, it is, the, true. It, is it is, we're either, we are living between denial and despair, you know, yes. for, for, and, and, and I think true discipleship is, is like you said, it's, it's holding those two and that tension. That's right. That's right. And the good Jewish rabbi would tell you it's living in the question and the tension and the in the unanswerable, but we can still hold both of them. Yes. Gosh. And as Jesus did that, he held both. I mean, he wept over Jerusalem and talked about, you know, the future promise that God never will I leave you or forsake you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And he was able to both weep and have trust and confidence and joy at the same time. And when you and I, the closer we get to learning how to walk those two realities out simultaneously, not sequentially, simultaneously, the better we will be as ambassadors of the good news, right? In the reality of our current brokenness. Wow. Okay. So let me bring this back to you. How did you do that? (sighs) Like in the sense, because again, in the sense of, you know, um, you're walking through just, you know, and I, I feel like every time it's with, cancer. My dad had leukemia and bone marrow transplant. It's like a, but I feel like the, the metaphors are always Mm -hmm. war, you know, but I mean, it's like, it's this, this thing that's, that's just attacking your body and you can't live in despair and you can't live in denial. Like how, how did you hold those two intention and just continuing taking a step forward because I think you're so right about grief. I feel like for me, I learned how to achieve more than I learned how to grieve. And oh, I hands down, yes, you I'm know, hardcore achiever. I'm right there with you. Yeah. yeah, and and I felt like the one service a year that I was given space to grieve um, wasn't really even grieving as much as. Um, 
it was just Good Friday. It was a, it was a day to grieve that Jesus died, but it wasn't really a teaching on how to grieve the wound in my life. It was just like, mm-hmm. thanks be to God, I don't have to deal with this sin. But it was it was more relief than grief. You know what I mean? And I I think for so many of us, we don't know how to, which mm-hmm. makes it really hard to live in tension. Mm-hmm. And 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 really hard to live in a space where we can walk out that promised reality. Mm-hmm. You're doing this. You're teaching people to do this. Give us just a couple pieces. And again, I think your book is is just the ten practices are yeah, really really helpful. Yeah. So for so formational in doing this, but. But just talk about again, is is there anything else in, yeah. in your life like, man, this is something I've had I have to like I wake up and I have to think about X, Y, or Z. I have to keep this in purview. What does that look like for you? Well, I mentioned earlier that my husband and I, we we raised three boys. Uh, and then right about the time we were going to enter empty nest, which by the way, I like to call the promised land now, just so you know. <laughs> We'll just add a little bit of theology here. Like it is to, I've been parenting for 30 years now. So yeah. it is the promised land. The so, um, but we have almost finished raising our three boys when we adopted three more kids who were four, four, and five. And it's a long story, but they had a history of severe abuse neglect. It was us or the foster care system. This was a relative situation. And uh, and so we started parenting all over again. So for the last 12 years, we've been raising three more kids. They're now 16, 16, 17. You know, you can send all your prayers and um, good thoughts my direction, please. So, um, but uh, as I've been raising them, I've learned a lot about trauma, okay? What, how trauma impacts us, how when we go through unexpected circumstances, especially extreme ones, it marks us biologically, um, you know, physically, emotionally, spiritually, all of it, and what it takes to heal from trauma, and all the science out there, if you would do the research, talk to psychiatrists, counselors, and by the way, we've, um, yeah, we've personally funded the lifestyles of many counselors and therapists in Colorado. So um, we've done all of that. The biggest indicator of adult health and healing for a child that was raised in a, an abusive or neglectful environment is the presence of one stable, significant other. In other words, they can live in a horrific environment, a horrible environment, have horrible abuse, but if there's at least one stable person in their life as they're growing up and progressing toward adulthood, that is the biggest indicator of adult health and healing. Um, That said, that is the gospel message. I just want you to think about that for a minute. From Genesis 2 all the way to Revelation, we see that trauma entered the human experience. And it was so broken, so beyond repair, like separation. It was awful. And God said, I need to heal humanity from their trauma. But the only way that they're going to be healed is by the presence of one stable, significant other. And so I'm missing Jesus, God with us. And to enter into the human experience and to bring over time this process of healing and redemption, okay? And so how you ask, you ask the question, how do we walk this out, this tension of current reality with future promise? Um, we view it as an ongoing journey of healing. My kids don't get healed overnight, right? Yeah. This is an ongoing journey for them. And my job is to be that stable, significant other in their life, helping them move toward adult healing. But this is the truth for all of humanity. This is not just them. 
We have all been marked by trauma, by brokenness, by woundedness, by things that have wounded us. And our stories are different, but the wound is the same. Okay. And the gospel is a story of God sending Jesus into our reality to be the one stable, significant other that brings us healing, that heals our trauma and brings us to a place of wholeness at some point in time. But that's a journey that doesn't happen in one day. And so the truth is, is, you know, how I reconcile this and walk this out is these formative practices, these daily staying present to this healing journey, acknowledging our wounds, acknowledging the person who is healing us and walking in tandem with that is it's not a one and done. It's daily. Daily. Right. It's daily. And so it starts with admitting our wounds and this is gets real practical, right? You want to have a healing journey. You got to name your losses. Pretending like you haven't been wounded is just, first of all, it's foolish at best, but it's just flat out deception at worst. It's just not true. Tell the truth, name your losses, go to the Psalms and watch the psalmist name their losses. Read Lamentations 1 and 2, which is a little bit depressing when you hear, you know, the author talk about all their losses. So name your losses, allow yourself to name them, then take those losses to the only person that has the credibility, the credentials, the authority to heal. That's God himself. Lay them at his feet, okay? You name them, you lay them, you grieve them there. It's okay. That means however you grieve, whether it's weeping or whether it's journaling your angry thoughts, whatever it may, grieve it, okay? But then like the uh, the author of Lamentations says, you turn the corner and say, and yet this I call to mind and therefore I have, have hope. Mm. Um you know, that the Lord's mercy is always new, new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Like we, that's the, that's the um, biblical expression of what I talked about earlier, current reality, future promise right there in the first three chapters of lamentation. Yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope, mm-hmm. right? Um, that his new mercies are new every day. Great is your faithfulness. So um, that's kind of the practical process of walking out. And then you rinse and repeat. Yeah. Every single day if needed, and multiple times a day if needed. Name your losses. Take them to the one who can do something about it. And then turn your eyes on the future hope. They all have to happen, not just one or the other. Gosh, I'm just saying that's that's that is a word for today. I just uh I, I think even just the I think about my own therapy journey and my counselor always says, you know, trust is built when someone is safe and consistent again oh, and again. Yes. You know, and, yes, and you think safety. about that safety. safety. I'm so glad you said that. No learning can happen. And for those of you who are teachers, preachers, nobody can learn if they feel unsafe. Yeah. So one of the best things we can do as communicators is create safety at the beginning. And part of that is by being authentic ourselves. Right. 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 Yeah. And and it's it's what's so amazing is when you can recognize like, oh, wow, this one man in Christ, son of God, who is this trusting, safety, mm-hmm. uh, consistent again and again presence. But then the invitation for us to be that for our our people, uh, our mm-hmm. families, um, our neighborhood, our cities, you know, and, 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 um, and also opening that up for other people to be that for us. And it's yes. so, so important. Um, Michelle, I feel like, I feel like I could like, ask you a thousand questions. I just, uh, the, the wealth. We just have to do it again. I know, I know, I know. This is, (laughs) um, but 
the wealth of insight as a biblical teacher, as a coach, as um, as an author, as a as a communicator, teacher, um, and just thank you for what you bring to the kingdom. Um, just uh, your your faith, uh, your desire and push eight years ago to remind me it's not about how you look, but do you have something to say? And anchoring in that um, just was life altering as a, as a preacher and teacher. And, um, so thank you for that. Where, where can people find you, uh, online? Very easy. My website is probably the best place to find all the different places where I am. I'm on social, Instagram, Facebook, but really website. I have all kinds of resources. I'm all about resourcing people. So lots of free resources and that's just michellecouchat.com. So, um, Michelle was one L and Kashat with two T's. I'm sure you'll put the, um, Lincoln the, show notes, the notes yeah. or whatever. So, but yeah, that's the best place to find me. And please take all the free resources you want and use, you know, my heart. And, you know, I want to say one tiny little thing to those who are listening, because many who are listening, you're in positions of leadership. And I so appreciate your kind words about um, what you see in me, but you and I both know that that was a hard, those were hard earned lessons. And it was it was far more God's grace than anything that I did. And so the reason I want to point that out is that there are some of you listening right now that are in a really hard place. And if you're in a position of leadership, you probably don't feel like you have anywhere to go with all of that. Um, and I simply want, this is what I feel God just kind of prompted me right now. I simply want to say to those of you who are in that place, um, this season, as hard as it is, uh, there is something here that's formative for you too. And I want you to know that not because it makes the pain any less, but I want you to know that it won't be wasted. I promise you, it won't be wasted. Whatever it is you're facing, whatever suffering it is, whatever cancer that you're facing right now, you have a God who is a just an absolute magician at taking the worst things and turning it into something miraculous. There is no way I could have accomplished this on my own will and strength. I, I would have been in the grave. I was done. Um, any goodness you see is what the 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 work that God has done at taking, you know, ashes and turning them into something beautiful, Isaiah 63. So just know wherever you are right now, this horrible thing that you think is going to take you under, it will not be wasted. God will use it to form you. And then you will turn around and walk with people in their places of suffering. And it will be incredible. The gospel lived out. I'm telling you, friends, this this is what you get in every chapter of a faith that will not fail us. I mean, I'm just it, like you read it and it's, it's thoughtful, it's accessible, it's deep, it, but it's, uh, there were moments that I had to like pick up my journal and be like, Oh man, what do I think about humility? Ooh, what do I think about forgiveness? And then other moments, it was like a pep talk of just like, this is something that is within you. Mm-hmm. You can hold on to. And then there were moments of challenge. There's some stuff that I need to let go of. And, and so, um, Michelle, thank you. Thanks again for your gift. Friends, pick that book up. Um, and to everyone listening, thank you. Uh, share this episode. Uh, you know, if, if if you listen on Spotify or Apple, um, feel free to, to, to rate us and uh, leave a review. Um, really, really grateful for our friends at Preaching Today and Food for the Hungry that make this podcast accessible and um, available to so, so many around the world. Um, but I, I'm really, really hoping that you heard that last word, um, that whatever you're facing, that you would feel the strength that you have a God that sees, a God that holds space, a God that is with you and for you. 
even in the midst of difficult, but it won't be like this forever. Um, And may you walk with that confidence, that hope, that faith, knowing that Jesus is with you and for you. Much love, everyone. We'll see you next time on the Crafting Character Podcast. Thanks so much. Thanks so much.